We're listening during the scripture reading this morning. You see that we're kind of moving into a new uh, phase in the book of Revelation, kind of the the part that we all wanted to get to from the very beginning, but instead we had to uh, spend some time uh, building up to this point to get before we get here to know what we're talking about when we do get here. This is the the grand mistake that people have been making throughout history in understanding the book of Revelation is that they go to Revelation chapter 6 and these seals and let's just start digging into this without knowing what has come before. So we spent obviously a lot of weeks talking about the things that come before so that we can understand the things that we are getting to now in obviously kind of the most interesting part of of the book for most of us anyway. Uh, and so uh, our outline for the book of Revelation, we know, should know, hopefully by now, Revelation 119, uh, where the Lord himself lays out the outline for the book, telling John that he needs to write about the things which you have seen, chapter 1, vision of Christ, where the authority for this message is coming from in the first place, the risen Christ, the things which are, he's supposed to write about also, chapters 2 and 3, messages to the churches, They are the recipients of this letter, essentially. That's what Revelation is. It is a letter dictated from the Lord to John to be delivered to these churches. And the churches had business that they needed to take care of personally. Uh, And in large part, if you remember those messages, it's it's sin in their daily lives that they needed to uh, take care of. They needed to repent. They needed to change their mind about their sin and and trust in the Lord. And a large part of those messages is the fact that they have the hope of a future reward. Through Christ, they have overcome this world that we are living in, and they can look forward to the benefits of having faith in Christ that they will have in the future. And then, God told John to write about the things which will take place after these things. And the primary purpose of Revelation is to describe the events that will take place in this world before Christ comes again to establish his kingdom. That's that's essentially what the Bible is about. The Bible is about the fact that God created the world, created everything that is in it, you and me, and everything else that we can see and can't see, he created it to be perfect, a perfect place where we can live in perfect union with the God who created us, but we ruined it. Man ruined it by sin. And God is fixing the problem of sin. He promised to fix the problem of sin from the very beginning. And the story of the Bible is how God is fixing that problem and will ultimately fix that problem. And we as believers in him and his plan will live in a perfect world in perfect union with the God who made us. And the book of Revelation describes the events that 
take place leading up to that point in time when he comes again to rule and to reign on this earth. And Revelation 6 through 19, which we are beginning today, starts to get into those events that will take place leading up to Jesus's coming again. And that's what we are starting today. This too is, is it's so absolutely vital to understand, to keep in mind the fact that God isn't a mean, spiteful God who's sitting in heaven and just striking people dead from heaven, uh, that there is a purpose in this and that there is a reason why these judgments are taking place. And primarily it has to do with his covenant promises that he made so that we can live in a perfect world, in perfect union with the God who made us. Because sin is the problem, and God has promised to eradicate sin from this world, and he does it through his covenant program. Beginning with, we've talked about this uh, a lot at Flushing Bible Church. You can go back and search our archives where we spend entire messages, entire series of messages talking about uh, the covenants that God made with the nation of Israel. But essentially, it boils down to the fact that God promised to fix the problem of sin through the seed of the woman back in Genesis chapter 3. And the way that he's going to do that is by creating a nation through which this seed of the woman can come into the world to fix the problem of sin. So in order to create this nation, God chooses one man, Abraham, makes a covenant with him. You are the one that this Messiah, seed of the woman, is going to come from. From your descendants, this person who will rule and reign over this earth will come. I promise you that, Abraham. He makes additional promises to him. Abraham, it's not a, this isn't an if then. If you obey me, if you promise to give me 10% of all your earnings, if you promise to uh, pray to me three times, none of that. It is, on, it is unconditional promises to Abraham. You, the Messiah of this world will come from your descendants. End of discussion. Oh, by the way, for, for you to be a nation, you need a land. God says, I promise to give you the land. End of discussion. I promise to give you a ruler. That's it. it that's the promise. That's the Davidic covenant. I promise to save you from your sin. New covenant. All of the, and all those who believe in me will be a part of this nation. Uh, three unconditional promises from God that lead eventually to a kingdom on the earth. All of that is accomplished in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the one who will be the ruler. He is the one who died for their sins uh, in or so that the nation can live in perfect union with him. Oh, 
He's the one who's going to give them the land when, he, when we get to Revelation 19. He's going to eradicate all the enemies and give them the land also. And, oh, by the way, this little part about the church down here. We believe in Christ too. And according to Ephesians chapter 3, we are participants in this inheritance, the kingdom that uh, God promises to the nation of Israel. We're, we're part of that through faith in Christ. We have a place in this kingdom also. We saw last week uh, that we will rule and reign with Christ in his kingdom. We have a place in that. We're not, notice that the church isn't here eradicating all of these promises and all those don't exist anymore. No, we are uh, third party beneficiaries in these promises made by God to the nation of Israel, his blessings are so overwhelming and infinite that he can offer them to everybody. If we would just trust in Christ, we can have a part in his plan. It's very important for us to understand as we move into these judgments that, that they are part of this whole plan. That the, the, and we're going to see when we make it to uh, Revelation chapter 7 that this book is going to start to become very Jewish. There's going to be a lot of, of uh, quote-unquote Israelitish things that we see in this book. And this isn't just fancy language. That There's a purpose behind, behind that. But uh, it's all part of God's covenant program that we have to understand to see why he's carrying out these judgments, why he's able to rule over this earth, why he's able to do the uh, things that he is, that he's going to do. He's going to rescue this world from sin through this covenant program. And what we're reading about in Revelation is how the, the, the exact details of how that's going to be carried out. So today, in the four horsemen, we'll see how far so uh, how far we how far we get into this. But it's going to begin with a pseudo peace, a kind of uh, pretend peace, if you will, and then a real war will break out in the second seal, and then in the third and fourth seals, we're going to see that one-fourth of the world's population is actually going to die uh, in these subsequent judgments. And we're just getting started here in the tribulation period. So we begin with the first of the four horsemen, a pseudo-peace. Revelation chapter 6 and verse 1 says, Then I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, as with the voice of thunder, Come. I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. First notice that, that very first word, uh, then. That is, a, that is a word that indicates a subsequent event. There, there is a chronology here. We are going from uh, the vision of Christ to the church 
the messages to the churches. Then John is raptured to heaven. He sees this incredible vision, God the Father, God the Son being worshipped in their glory. The Son is, is worthy to take this scroll and open it and carry out these judgments. Then, just to, to emphasize the point that the book of Revelation is largely chronological. It, it, it follows a timeline in most places with some breaks in the action to look back at some events, some breaks in the action to look forward at things that will take place later. But in large part, we're setting a timeline for events that are uh, going to take place. And uh, in spite of what this also as we see the title of our first point, a pseudo-peace, seal number one, it's also important for us to realize that the tribulation does not begin with the sun being blackened or a lunar eclipse or blood moons and, uh, or a pandemic or uh, a war. It begins with peace in some in some. Respect. So it's important that we don't just jump into some future event and bring it back here. We, we need to keep the timeline, the timeline, keep things in order. And it begins with this so-called peace. And this is something that can be uh, kind of easy to see if you're paying attention to uh, the way the way things are. Uh, in the world today. I don't know if you were able to hear the recording of Justin Trudeau or see the video of Justin Trudeau when he was uh, announcing the Emergency Powers Act. I, I heard it on the radio or on a podcast when I was driving in this week. And he just sounds so nice and peaceful as he's taking away every right that the Canadian people have because we're in a state of emergency people. Uh, we have a group that's just not going along with us, so we just need to completely squash them, and then everything will be just fine. Have a nice day. And that's kind of the way that, I, that I, you can see that so easily happening in the future, and it, but, it, but it is a pseudo-peace, much like it is in Canada, a pseudo-peace, a peace in name only. But that's uh, the but the book of Revelation. So kind of disregard the sensationalistic uh, Bible teachers that you see that oh, oh Russia invaded Ukraine. We're in the tribulation. No, no we're not. <laughs> the tribulation begins over here at seal number one with peace, peace and safety is what is going to be the beginning of. The tribulation, and then it progresses down the timeline to judgments that get worse and worse and worse and worse until we're all the way down here in this part of of the uh, of the scenario. Uh, so, 
when we see lunar eclipses or even a series of lunar eclipses, say if the, the moon has, a, has an eclipse every month for the next year, that doesn't mean we're in the tribulation. Uh, vaccines, not the mark of the beast. We're not in the tribulation. An earthquake, even an earthquake in a weird place isn't a sign that we are in the tribulation because we don't have the pseudo-peace that starts the tribulation. When we see nations invading other nations today, oh, phew, okay, good. We're not in the tribulation yet. <laughs> that's, one way, that's one way to kind of have a good outlook on it. But the number one reason why we're not in the tribulation is because you and I are still here. The rapture of the church will take place before the tribulation events begin. That was Paul's, he wrote, Paul wrote a whole book of the Bible about that. Incidentally, the book of second Thessalonians was to encourage the people. You're not in the tribulation. You're still here, I, I taught you these things. I can, I can feel Paul's uh, frustration with them. Didn't you listen to anything I said? I taught you this. The, tribula- the rapture will happen before the day of the Lord begins. And then these events will take place. So be encouraged. Carry on doing the things that, that I have for you to do. So notice, again, Revelation 6.1, that the Lamb breaks the seal. The Lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice, Come. This, uh, the Lamb received the scroll. The Lamb, who is God the Son, received the scroll from the right hand of the Father, The authority to do this comes from God the Father to the Son. He is the one who is breaking the seal. This is all God's wrath. One of the views of the the rapture of the church that is gaining ascendancy is this idea of a pre-wrath rapture, which is, is, is a term to hide what it actually is. It's better termed a three quarters rapture. In other words, the church will go through three quarters of the tribulation period. So we'll be way down here uh, after a half of the world has been killed and died of war, famine, disease, eaten by wild animals. That's one of the judgments. And all these other things, then we'll get raptured. So be encouraged. Uh, It's only going to get worse. So that's pre-wrath. So you can, they kind of hide under the guise of dispensationalists, but they're not dispensationalists really in any way, shape, or form. Uh, the only thing that we would have in common with them is that they're, they're pre-millennial. So they believe Jesus will come again before the kingdom, and that's sort of where our, our agreement ends. Other than that, they don't believe in a separation of church and Israel and any number of things that this message isn't about. Uh, The tribulation is all of God's, all of the tribulation is God's wrath being poured out 
on this earth. We are the true pre-wrath rapturous. We believe that, that the church is not subject to God's wrath in any way, shape, or form, and we will be delivered from this earth through the rapture of the church before his wrath begins. This is the day of the Lord beginning in Revelation chapter 6. Zephaniah makes that, makes that pretty clear. Zephaniah chapter 1 and verse 14, he says, Near is the great day of the Lord, near and coming very quickly. Listen, the day of the Lord. In the warrior, in it, the warrior cries out bitterly, A day of wrath is that day, a day of trouble and distress, a day of destruction and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. He, he goes on from there. The day of the Lord is a day of wrath being poured out, but, but it begins in a state of pseudo peace with this rider on the white horse. Verse two, I looked and behold a white horse and he who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him and he went out conquering and to conquer. Now there are all kinds of uh, viewpoints about who the rider on the white horse actually is. And there are a lot of, of sects of Christianity who believe that, the, well, this, this is Jesus. Jesus is the one on the, on the white horse, of course. Uh, and so, so they come up with some scheme to make this being the spread of the gospel throughout the world. Because after all, he's, he's going about conquering and to conquer, and he's given a white horse and, and all of these, and he's got a crown. And so all of these things point to Jesus Christ. And uh, that, uh, unfortunately, is, is not true at all. In fact, I would uh, posit that this is the Antichrist, that he is one who is pretending to be Christ. That's why there are some similarities there between uh, Jesus Christ, who will come on a white horse at the end of the tribulation, Revelation 19, 11. But he comes with a sword that proceeds out of his mouth, not a bow. And he has an actual crown, a diadem on his head, not a crown, Stephanos, as it says here. Uh, this person is an imitation Christ or an anti-Christ. And he, uh, there are some things that we can take away from the, the imagery that we have here. It's uh, kind of well known that he has a bow, but there's no mention of arrows and that he's not firing arrows at various people. There's nothing mentioned about uh, bloodshed and these kinds of things that become very prominent very quickly, in fact. So John knows all about how to, how to describe people dying in battle. We're going to see a lot of that as we move forward. But there's no mention of that here. But he, somehow he still comes out and he conquers. He comes out with the intention to conquer, conquering, and to conquer. And so when we come to Revelation, if you remember, we said that there, right in the beginning, the, the Bible, Revelation says that there's a blessing in understanding this 
book. Uh, reading, hearing, and, and heeding the things that we see in Revelation. And I've made the point that that is the part of the blessing is that you need to understand really the entirety of the Bible to understand the things that are being said here. And so one of those, obviously you have to understand prophecy to understand what Revelation is talking about. The Old Testament, the book of Daniel in particular, sets a nice frame for future events. Revelation is the detail onto, those, onto that framework. Where There are some other places in the Bible also that, that provide some framework. Again, Revelation gives the details. So the book of Daniel is one of those places that we really need to understand in order to understand what is being talked about in Revelation. So the book of Daniel describes the Antichrist. There's two, essentially two books of the Bible that have a lot to say about this future literal person who will exist in this world. If he doesn't already, he may, I don't know. He may not. Uh, But Daniel and Revelation both have a lot to say about this person. Daniel chapter 7 is one of those places. Uh, It says, Daniel 7 and verse 7, Daniel speaking, he says, After this I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast. It's talking about the beasts are various empires that will rule over this earth. There are essentially four of them from the time of Daniel moving forward. Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. Rome is the fourth beast. He's already described the other three in this chapter. A fourth beast, dreadful and terrifying and extremely strong, and it had large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet, and it was different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. Verse 8, While I was contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a little one, came up among them, and three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it. And behold, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth uttering great boasts. That is describing the Antichrist, the little horn you may have heard him referred to as. He is the little horn, and he goes out conquering and to conquer. Here it says he eradicates three of the other ten horns, or uh, it's not perfectly clear how the how the horns will play out in reality, but it's it's certainly uh, uh, regions or people in power who are given some measure of authority over the world. There's ten of them, and the little horn, the Antichrist, comes up and eradicates three of those. He comes conquering and to conquer. He takes authority for himself. And guess what? That little horn is going to become the horn. He's going to become the one who rules over the entire world. But and we see that beginning in peace. This is very much like what Hitler did uh, in the days leading up to World War II. That uh, if you're familiar with that history, that he went out and, and just kind of 
took places without firing a shot. He conquered the entire nation of Czechoslovakia without firing one bullet, not dropping one bomb or uh, anything. He went in there and took it. And uh, I wish I would have remembered to get the picture of Neville Chamberlain, the very famous historical picture of him coming off the airplane, waving the piece of paper, I have peace, after Hitler has just taken Czechoslovakia. And he negotiates peace. We've got peace right here. I've got Hitler signed this thing. It's peace. Pseudo peace. That's exactly what the Antichrist, something along those lines, exactly the same sort of thing that he is going to do, the Antichrist will do in the future. And uh, many times we point to another very important place for us to understand, to understand prophecy, Daniel chapter 9, that also indicates a covenant of some type that the Antichrist will really is going to be making with the entire world that has to do with the nation of Israel. Uh, Daniel chapter 9, Daniel is in distress, great distress over the fact that his nation is exiled from the land. He knows that, uh, that the nation will be in exile for 70 years because they uh, disregarded the Sabbaths. That was God's judgment. Daniel already knew that. The 70 years, is it's getting kind of close. What are we, what are we going to do? He, Daniel expects that the kingdom will come after the 70 years. But Lord, we're, we're here in Babylon. We don't have a temple. How, what, what is happening here? How are you going to make this all work? God sends Gabriel to Daniel to reveal the future to him. Daniel chapter 9, beginning in verse 24, is the answer to Daniel's question, how are you going to make this all work out? Daniel 9, 24, 70 weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city. Uh, we've studied this in the past as well. That essentially is 490 years, 70 weeks, 70 times uh, seven is 490. Here, uh, the weeks represent years. We've studied this again, not what this message is about, uh, but 490 years are decreed for the nation. After 483 of those years, the Messiah is going to come. He's going to die for the sins of the people, but he's going to be cut off and have nothing. Uh, and then uh, the Lord promises that the nation, that uh, Israel again is going to be destroyed essentially at the end of that. And it, uh, Verse 26 of Daniel 9. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And notice this, the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. What? There is no city. It was destroyed by the Babylonians. There is no sanctuary. That was burned down by the Babylonians. That implies that they have to go back They have to rebuild the city. They have to rebuild the temple. And it's going to be destroyed again. 
Verse 26, people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. Verse 27, and he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week or seven years. A week in this context equal years. One week equals seven years. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. Oh, that means the temple's going to be built again. There's going to be a third temple by necessity here. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. So take away from that. He's making a covenant with this people of the prince who is to come. Oh, by the way, the Romans are the ones who destroyed the temple the second time. So this one who's going to make a covenant with Israel and essentially really the whole world to bring peace is a prince of the people who are to come. He's going to be a Roman of some type. He's going to come from this Roman empire somewhere the ones who destroyed the temple the second time, he's going to make a covenant and they're going to have a temple for the third time because they're making grain offerings and sacrifices here. And he's going to uh, make a covenant with them for seven years. In the middle, he's going to break that covenant. But in the beginning, it's peace. Pseudo peace. Obviously, God's already laid out that he's going to break that covenant uh, Israel. So be careful who you're, who you're trusting in. So seal number one, pseudo peace, a, a kind of covenant we draw from Daniel nine twenty seven that the Antichrist, this little horn who is to come in the future, will make with Israel in the world, bringing some kind of peace. He's got a bow and no arrows. He's not killing people at this point in time. He has a crown It's a pseudo crown. He has some authority in this and he's conquering and to conquer. He's pulling down other nations, bringing himself up. He is the Antichrist. So some conclusions that we can draw from this first seal, Russia invading Ukraine is not the tribulation. Uh, It's, it's not even Ezekiel 38 and 39. (laughs) In fact, It could be uh, setting the stage for later events. Ezekiel 38 and 39 is another place that we should understand. As far as prophecy goes, it's very important for us. Uh, But, uh, you know, stage setting, uh, that's kind of a, 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 a very broad term. World War II was stage setting for the world that we live in today. When uh, China, when China invades Taiwan, that'll be stage setting for future events. Uh, Us being in church today is stage setting. You raising your kids tomorrow morning uh, is stage setting. Me going to work, everything that we do is stage setting for the future. Uh, 
Yes, obviously. We can see the world is moving towards these events that we see in the Bible. I'm not trying to downplay these huge events that are happening. Obviously, we are moving in that direction. It's very clear to anybody who's paying any attention whatsoever to world events that the focus of the world and the people who are rising to prominence today are in the East, uh, Eastern Europe and further East. They are rising to prominence. Us in the West, uh, we are falling rapidly. Our, the leader of our nation doesn't know what day it is. We are falling rapidly. The East is rising like a skyrocket. And that, that is happening uh, as, we, as we speak. Not saying the rapture is tomorrow. It might be, it might not be. The, the, Russia will play a role in end times. Take that to the bank. It's in God's word. They will be there. Uh, Russia has risen and fallen several times in history. You just, just know, your, know your history and you, don't, you won't get distracted by sensationalism. Napoleon invaded Russia in the 1800s, the very early 1800s. He did that for a reason. Russia was very powerful. Uh, the Crimean War, the world fighting against Russia. Russia was a very, very powerful nation. And then by the time we get to World War I, they're kind of crumbling a little bit. The communists take over. They drop out of World War I. Russia becomes a, a backwater for a number of years until the communists come in, consolidate their power, build Russia up again. The Soviet Union becomes a world superpower for 50, 60 years. And then... That system falls to pieces. Russia crumbles again during the, the 90s. You know, Russia, yeah, they're in the news, but they're nothing uh, compared to what they are today until Vladimir Putin comes along. And now all of a sudden, Russia is uh, on the rise again. So again, up and down. I guarantee you that if there were dispensational Christians in the 1800s, they would be seeing what Russia is doing and saying, Ezekiel 38 and 39, that is right now. In fact, the Crimean War, that's uh, in large part what Russia is, was intending to take back uh, the, the Holy Land for Christendom. And if you know uh, Vladimir Putin and his use of religion, one of the reasons why he's invading Ukraine is because they started the Ukrainian uh, Orthodox Church. And he very much wants to consolidate Christendom under the Russian Orthodox Church and take back Jerusalem for Jesus. Uh, that's just, uh, just a matter of fact. And so is he going to be the one that tries to do that? Uh, maybe but maybe not, that people in the past have, have had the same, same kind of ambition. If I uh, were going to uh, <laughs> make a guess on whether or not he's the one, boy, it, sort, it kind of seems, seems like he might, might be the one. I don't know. But nevertheless, Russia invading Ukraine is not the tribulation. The tribulation begins with peace, not war. 
Putin isn't the Antichrist, uh, in my in my opinion. Uh, he's a Soviet KJB agent. He makes no pretense for peace. He's invading countries now. He's not trying to make peace with them and surreptitiously take power. He's taking it by force. Uh, uh, so much to talk about. The, the Antichrist is from the people of the prince who is to come. He's from the Roman Empire, not the Russian Empire. I'm not saying the tribulation isn't close. It could be. In my estimation, honestly, it seemed closer when Trump was president making peace between all of the, all of the Arab nations in Israel. That, that gets your attention. Oh, wow. That's, that's like the Israelites think peace and safety. That's what's described in the Bible, actually. Now, we just have open warfare. Not a sign of the beginning of the tribulation. And I forgot that I have a fourth point on this slide, which was all the stuff that I just talked about. (laughs) Tribulation begins with peace. Daniel 9.27, 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 5, Uh, Paul says to them, Now as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well that when the day of the Lord will come, just like a thief in the night, while they are saying peace and safety, peace and safety is the beginning of the tribulation. Then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains in a woman with child and they will not escape. But you brethren are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief for you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. That's you and me. We are not of darkness. We are of the light. Israel is going to be deceived at the beginning of the tribulation. Another place in our Bibles that we need to be very familiar with in terms of prophecy is Matthew chapters 24 and 25, the Olivet Discourse that describes in large part some of these same things that we're learning about in Revelation, particularly these first four seals in the Olivet Discourse. Matthew 24, Jesus speaking before his crucifixion, obviously, uh, he warns the nation of Israel, many will come in my name. Matthew 24, 5, many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will mislead many. Uh, We saw in our study of 2 Thessalonians that before the tribulation or the day of the Lord can come, there's going to be this great apostasy. Now, a lot of, a lot of uh, teachers will say, well, that apostasy, uh, obviously that's the church. The church is going to fall away. Uh, see this uh, guy over there, Mark Furtick, insert whoever kind of heretic teacher you want to there. See, there, there's the apostasy. We're close to the tribulation. But the tribulation has to do with the nation of Israel. Remember, 
it is the apostasy. You know, which, which one is it? Is it Kenneth Copeland? Is it, is it Rick Warren? Is it insert your favorite guy? I, I'm not sure. There's a whole lot of heretics out there. Uh, I'm not sure which is the one, which is the one that's really bad. There has to be something that, that deserves the title the and that is the nation of Israel falling for somebody who isn't their Messiah, thinking he's the Messiah. Now, if I'm going to say the apostasy in terms of the Bible, that's a pretty big one. The nation of Israel accepting someone other than Jesus Christ as their Messiah. Second Thessalonians 2, verses 1 through 3 talks about that. Paul says, Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, the rapture, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord is come, Verse 3, let no one in any way deceive you, for it, the day of the Lord, will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness, the little horn, the antichrist, the rider on the white horse, is revealed the son of destruction. The tribulation cannot begin until this person is revealed, until he's making a, some sort of covenant of peace, pseudo-peace, with Israel, with the world, to uh, kind of establish his place in the world. So we are, we are not in the tribulation today. Big takeaway from that. First seal, pseudo-peace. Second seal, a real war. Notice Revelation 6 and verse 3. It says, When he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come. And another, a red horse went out, and to him who sat on it was granted to take peace from the earth, and that men would slay one another, and a great sword was given to him. Again, notice that when he broke the second seal, there, there's a chronology going on here. First he breaks the first seal, then he breaks the second seal. There is an order being established here. In order to take peace from the earth, there has to be peace first. <laughs> Kind of, this is not too complicated. There's got to be peace established for it to be taken away. Right now, there's not a lot of peace in the world. Again, we are not in the tribulation. First seal, then second seal. This is exactly what God uh, has forewarned the world is going to happen Uh, in his word. That's something that we can take away from this. It It is a warning to the world that things are going to get Uh, much, much worse than they are even today. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 
and verse 6, the God, uh, the God of the universe warns us and everyone that this is going to happen. 2 Thessalonians 1, 6, For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's, this is why uh, John and the Lord spent all that time describing to John the risen Lord and the fact that Jesus has the authority to do this because God is the creator of all. God the Son is the perfect one who died for the sins of the world. He essentially earned the right to, to rule over this world because he overcame sin and evil in his death, burial, and resurrection. He is able to do this. God isn't just pouring out judgment because he's mean and he hates people. He's actually gracious and long-suffering, warning people ahead of time that he's going to do this, showing them clearly the way out, the way to be rescued from this. That's another part of the covenant program is to make it very, very clear, very, very obvious who the seed of the woman is. He's going to be a descendant of Abraham. He's going to be a descendant of Jacob, not Esau. He's going to be a descendant of Isaac, uh, not Ishmael. Then Jacob, not Esau. Uh, Then he's going to have, uh, Jacob's going to have 12 sons. The seed of the woman is going to come out of one of those 12 sons, Judah. Not just any person from Judah, but from David on down the line until we get to David. And then, lo and behold, the Jews kept uh, good records of the descendants of everyone. And we can trace it from person to person to person to Jesus until he comes into this world. That's all part of God's covenant program to make it very obvious who this one is because God is loving and gracious and long-suffering. He's given the world 2,000 years up to this point to, to get this right. It's right here for us to believe in him, that we can be rescued from this tribulation period. But one day this time is going to come and he's going to have to punish the world for its rejection of Christ so that we can have the world the way that he originally intended it to be. And this time is going to come in the tribulational period. And it's going to start to get very bad, uh, for the world in this second seal when the rider on the red horse comes forward. War and great bloodshed is the result of this. Notice that this rider has a sword given to him. That is another indication that the first one, the first seal is not doing that. He's very explicit in the details that a sword is given to the second 
writer that men would slay one another and a great sword was given to him, the rider on the horse. Now, people uh, spend some time trying to develop, well, who is this rider on the red horse? Say he must be a communist of some kind because it's a red horse. Well, uh, that might be reading a little bit too much into it, you know, communism and red and their colors and stuff wasn't a great topic of conversation in biblical times. So that would be reading too much into, into the text. It's not actually really even a person per se. It's more of a personification of uh, events that will happen in the future. When the second seal is broken, War is going to break out in the world. Uh, And we see that also in the book of Daniel. Speaking of uh, the Antichrist in Daniel chapter 11, verses 40 through 45, we see that he's going to be very involved in in warfare and that these, these kinds of things are going to be taking place in large quantities, if you will, during the tribulational period. Daniel 11 verses 40 through 45 describe some of the things that he's going to be taking part in, in these uh, uh, warlike activities, if you will. We won't take the time to read it. But this is this is going to be a, a war and uh, campaigns that are pertinent to the end times could possibly be uh, Ezekiel 38 and 39 war beginning during this time frame. I know that there are a tremendous amount of viewpoints on when that will take place. And uh, a lot of that has to do with, uh, I wouldn't, I don't think I would call it speculation, but the Bible doesn't make perfectly clear when those events will take place. Ezekiel 38 and 39, if you're not familiar, is our chapters of the Bible that describe Russia, Turkey, Iran, Libya, Sudan, all coming together and invading Israel, essentially. And the Lord miraculously delivering the nation of Israel from this incredible, uh, oh, by the way, also Kazakhstan, Azerbaijan, Afghanistan, all of the stands are involved in this, like essentially the entire Eastern world, uh, the powers of the Eastern world invade Israel simultaneously. That's what's described in Ezekiel 38 and 39 in the Lord miraculously delivers the nation. We tend to uh, think of this as uh, this sort of an event as uh, like in a snapshot kind of way. Oh, Ezekiel 38 and 39, they invade and the Lord saves them. Think about the time that it took for uh, Putin to gather his forces to invade Ukraine. We're talking months and months of preparation to get all the pieces in place to be able to invade that one 
uh, small, uh, it's not small, it's big, but uh, relative to the operation that will take place to invade Israel, that's, that's small time. Uh, this will take a, a period of months and months to make all of that happen. And then the warfare that will take place during that, uh, Israel isn't just going to sit back and you know let it happen. There's going to be fighting that takes place a very long, long campaign, like World War II, for example. Uh, you know, we tend to think of that in the same way, a snapshot, uh, oh, World War II, that was like a week or something like that. It was actually six years at least of, of warfare all around the world, a myriad of, of campaigns. But you could describe it the same way that Ezekiel 38 and 39 is described in a couple chapters of the Bible. You could give the gist of what took place there. Uh, All of that to say, a possible scenario is that this second seal is Gog and Magog, as it's called, Ezekiel 38 and 39, taking place. And we can talk about that uh, later if you would like. Uh, one thing that I can assure you is that it's not uh, World War I and World War II have nothing at all to do with the events that are described in the Olivet Discourse or in the book of Revelation. There's kind of a theory around uh, in even in dispensational circles, especially in dispensational circles, that the Olivet Discourse is kind of tied to World War I and World War II. Kingdom against kingdom and nation against nation uh, is describing World War I and World War II because that, that was unprecedented. That's never happened. Nothing like that's ever happened before. And so, as the theory goes for those who think that Olivet Discourse is talking about World War I and World War II, all of these events are going to take place. Everything subsequent to that takes place. This generation is going to see all of these things take place. So, therefore, since uh, this generation sees it, That means the rapture of the church has to happen within a generation of World War I and World War II. And I'm sorry, I don't know know any other nice way to state it, but that's date setting. And that is strike number one, or not even strike, you're out. (laughs) Not strike one, you're out right now if you're trying to set a date. And that's a pseudo way of setting a date. We do not know when the rapture will take place. It could be tonight, tomorrow. It could be a thousand years from now. But we need to be uh, prepared for it to happen uh, as if it could be today. World War I and World War II were not unique. Just because they have the moniker one and two doesn't mean that there weren't world wars before that, the Napoleonic Wars were literal world wars, fighting across the globe. The Seven Years' War, literal global conflict between the powers of the world. Europe has been engulfed in warfare since the Middle Ages and before uh, the last 80 years are unique in European 
history. World War One and World War Two were not were not really unique, uh, kind of in any way. <laughs> Actually, we just came up with better ways to kill one another. Uh, in fact, is what what would make that unique, uh, and. Uh, now we've progressed even 80 years further, so stand by for the death and destruction that we're going to see as we move forward in these uh, judgments. So we, uh, I'm not trying to, again, downplay current events and watching. I think we ought to be watching current events, paying attention to things that are happening uh, but it, but current, uh, the current events that we see don't, aren't necessarily pointing to the rapture being tomorrow. It might be close. It might not be close. I see very obvious signs that the world is progressing towards the end. Number one, it will end with this. We're not going to make it all the way through. Number one, nation of Israel exists in this world today as one nation, not a divided nation, not Israel and Judah. Do you realize how long it has been since Israel was one nation? Like 3,000 years of, of human history from the time of Solomon after his death when the nation divided. It's not one nation anymore from that period for even in biblical history. From then until 1948, Israel wasn't a nation. That that ought to get that ought to make the hairs rise on the back of your neck. That is significant. That is a sign of the end. We are we are getting there. The internet is another thing that is a sign of the end of the times. The internet makes possible things that we will see in. Revelation. Revelation 11, the whole world sees two witnesses dead in the streets of Israel for three days. The whole world sees it simultaneously. That can happen uh, today. Everybody could, could see that. The Western world, like I uh, uh, mentioned earlier, rushing headlong into wanting world government. That's what all this diversity talk is about. Diversity is a, a, is a nice way of saying world government. Get under my control, the, the, the proponents of diversity are saying. You are not allowed to have individual thought. Can't have that. You must agree with everything. Not only must you agree with everything that we think, you must affirm it. You must assert it. That's diversity brought to you by the likes of Justin Trudeau with a nice, soft voice. That's, that's dictatorial government. That's where the Western world is, is headed to. That is a sign of the ends. We now have the means for a world currency, unlike ever before. We have, not only do we have the means of a world currency, but we have the means for absolute total control, uh, monitoring of world currency. We see the, the trucker bank accounts being shut down. Uh, people who give money to the trucker convoy, their banks being uh, frozen. We have all of it, all of it is there 
and in place. So yes, day by day, we are closer and closer to the tribulation, which means day by day, we are closer and closer to the rapture of the church happening. But we don't need to come up with schemes that misinterpret God's word in order to uh, try to prove the point that we're getting closer to the tribulation. We can uh, just take God's word for what it says and come to that same, same conclusion. So today, we only made it through two seals and we're still over time. Uh, the, re- the tribulation begins with peace and then comes war. I still wanted to read this uh, passage because the, you know that we'll probably see this and, and several other of these kinds of passages as we make our way through Revelation and these judgments, you know, hey, we're going to be out of here. Uh, who cares? It doesn't matter. Well, I'll tell you, I think it does matter because there are going to be people who are teaching that we are in the tribulation and things are bad and yes, things are bad, but they're not this, they're not this bad. We're not to this level yet. We can be comforted and we need to be reminded about what we need to be about. Second Peter three ten does that in following, but the day of the Lord, it says the day of the Lord Seal number one will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the, day, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Peter taking the entirety of tribulation, kingdom, and the very end of the kingdom and wrapping it all into one verse. This place is going to be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, Beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found in him in peace, spotless and blameless. And we will close with that. Let's go to him in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the warnings that we see in your word. We thank you for being gracious to us and gracious to the world gracious even to unbelievers, giving them time to trust in you. We know from your word and from very experience that if you wanted to, you could just end this thing right now. You could burn us all up in an, in an instant if you wanted to, but you are gracious and long-suffering and loving, and you give us an opportunity to trust in you, to have our sins forgiven, and we thank you for that. We thank you for Jesus Christ who overcame this world for us so that we don't have to do it. We don't have to be concerned with uh, overcoming the uh, dictators of the world and eradicating evil everywhere that we see it. You have already 
done it and you will do it completely one day in the future. And we thank you and praise you for that. We look forward to that day. And in the meantime, Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit who indwells us. We thank you for your word that teaches us how to be right with you, uh, not just for eternity, but on a daily moment by moment basis. And I pray that you would help each one of us to do that in the days to come. And we will give you all of the praise and the glory and the honor. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.